0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. Let me start this programme by asking you a rather sensitive question. Are you happy at work? Are your employees happy at work? If not, does it matter? Isn't a bit of dissatisfaction in the workplace just a normal part of the package? Perhaps even a bit of creative tension? even if we don't like it, and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. An increasing amount of research says that it does matter if we're happy at work. Moreover, that happiness at work, or the lack of it, spills over into issues like productivity, innovation, and even staff retention. With me today to discuss this is Vanessa King. Vanessa is head of psychology and workplaces at the not-for-profit body, Action for Happiness and she advises many organisations around the world on happiness and welfare at work. She has a master's degree in applied positive psychology, and she also has experience in both accountancy and HR, which means that she knows how organisations work from the inside out. Vanessa, welcome to the Future of Work podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, delightful to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thanks very much. Okay, well, look, let me start by asking you, I suppose, the key question, which is, does it really matter if people are happy at work or not?
1: Well, actually, this is quite an interesting question, because like you, like you said in your introduction, happiness is one of those subjects, often people think it's a kind of fluffy, and it's not really kind of a serious subject for the workplace. But I, often I talk about the serious science of happiness, because there is a growing body of research that shows people, if people feel happier in the workplace, then there are all sorts of benefits that result from it. So we know, for example, that people who are happier tend to be more physically healthy, they're less likely to catch cold, if they get a cold, it's likely to be less severe, they're less likely to be heart disease, they're more likely to take care of their health. Now, so that's important, we all care about the the health of our employees. but that translates into, you know, um, reduced sickness absence, which has a cost and it reduces the knock-on effect on other colleagues. We know from a grand body of research that feeling happier at work is related to higher um, productivity, um, with no loss in quality. Doctors, for example, who are happy, have been shown to make faster, more accurate diagnoses. And some really interesting research by Alex Edmonds, who is at the London Business School, he's a finance professor. He tracked the, best, the, share, the earnings per share of 100 best companies to work for in the United States over a 26-year period. And he compared that to the earnings per share of the stock market peers. So the average of their stock market peers. And he found year on year, the 100 best companies to work for. So these are organizations that pay attention to the happiness of their workforce. Their earnings per share was higher, on average, 3.2% higher each year. So he's saying, you know, this is a, it's something that isn't fluffy. It's something that actually investors should be taking more seriously. But it actually doesn't just stop there at health and productivity. Yeah, you know, we know, for example, that people who are happier um, are more likely to help others more. They're more likely to engage in less risky behaviors. They're engaged, like to be more financially responsible. They're even more likely to be sort of active and engaged citizens. So, and I think this is really important. We know that you know how we feel about our work doesn't stay at the factory gates or the office door. It take you know we take it home with us, and especially in these days of hybrid working. And it ripples out to our families, to how we contribute to our communities. I mean, I would argue that that happiness is actually a corporate social responsibility.
0: And when you talk about happiness at work, what do you actually mean? I mean, I assume that you mean something a bit more profound than just having a giggle around the water fountain or having a jolly lunch with, with a colleague.
1: Happiness is actually quite a complex subject. The ancient Greeks talked about two sorts of happiness they talked about hedonia pleasure so feeling good that laugh with a colleague that you know nice lunch somebody bringing in the donuts or whatever it is but they also talked about a form of happiness called eudaimonia and this was about a sense of fulfillment a sense of contributing a, a sense of being able to be our best selves to you know, to use the best of ourselves, use, um, enhance our potential. And it's kind of interesting, because if you think about kind of eudaimonic aspects of work, so maybe working on a really tricky project, or navigating a difficult relationship, or coming and solving a problem, um, a complex problem, that does not feel good along the way. But we know we feel satisfied and fulfilled at the end of it maybe you know we feel proud that we've made an impact and pleasure those moments of pleasure can actually the science shows can actually help us along the way to fulfilling goals so i think we need to think about happiness in the realm both those momentary fleeting moments and the um the longer term fulfillment but i think it's not just about those moments of joy, it could be moments of peace and calm, it could be feeling connected, it could be feeling cared for. Those are all kind of elements of happiness at work.
0: The research that you've looked at for your books and for your work with Action for Happiness, have you got down as far as defining specific criteria that create happiness at work, be they related to the physical environment or related to the the kind of job or the sector that you work in or kind of trajectory of your your working day? I mean, have you got that deep into it?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of factors that can influence it. And of course, you know, they, they're all integrated as well. But they're, uh, I mean, my focus is on the psychological. What are the psychological factors and the factors that influence our psychological well-being? And I should say, I use the term happiness, psychological well-being, resilience interchangeably because actually the ingredients that go into each. And it's, what I'm finding quite interesting is when I first kind of immersed myself in this, did my master's came out, I've been working as a, a organisation development and leadership consultant for many years. When I immersed myself in this science, you could not talk in organizations about the H word, the happiness word, because you just, just, but you could talk about resilience. You could talk about well-being, but that kind of meant healthy options in the canteen and gym membership or whatever. But now, interestingly, people are becoming much more open. To this idea of happiness and work, so but so you
0: you, sorry you equate resilience and happiness directly? Do you?
1: The absolutely the um, a for two reasons. One is that we know um, that people who are happier are likely to be more resilient. I mean, you know, none of this is guarantees, but also if we look at the ingredients that go into feeling happier, there are also ingredients bolster our resilience so happiness is not just for the good times if you like the science of happiness is actually also for the tougher and more challenging times too so you asked me about some of the ingredients that really go into feeling happy now um so there are some bait you know of course there are some fundamentals people need to be kind of be you know have the fundamentals fair work say you know safe in work environments those sorts of things but when we come to a psychological context, the psychological ingredients. I, as a starter for 10, think about five key psychological principles. So, first and foremost, is a sense of relate, what's called relatedness in the literature, a sense of connection, a sense of being seen, thought about, cared about, and, and caring about others, feeling part of something. And it was quite interesting when looking at kind of very large data sets, researchers coming out during the pandemic, that sense of belonging to our organisations, really came to the fore as one of the most important aspects of work. So that sense of connection. And what's interesting about that, and we I know we'll come on to some practical things, but that is conveyed not by the rhetoric and the values of the organisation, but by the micro-interactions we have with colleagues. Are we treated respectfully? Are we, given the time of day, are people interested in what interests us? Those sorts of things. So tiny things can make a big difference to that sense of relatedness. That's one ingredient. The the second ingredient is having a sense of competence and progress. So feeling effective, not feeling thwarted in what we do or um, um, that we're not growing or learning. The third is having a sense of autonomy. Um, which is interesting and this these psychological needs that actually don't just relate to work they relate to the whole of our lives but um and they work cross culturally they manifest different and differently in different cultures but it's still there so a sense of autonomy doesn't mean total freedom you know to live in social structures we can't have or work in organizations we have to kind of adapt but it means having say some say over what i do or how i do it or you know we know that flexibility in working hours for example is really important to uh, many employees there's a sense of that what I do and and I matter that I you know I'm making a contribution to something bigger than myself so a sense of meaning and purpose and actually when we feel that what we're doing is meaningless I mean it's very um, detrimental to our psychological well-being and fifth there is a sense of positive kind of emotional environment so this means two things one is that we kind of don't just focus on the issues and the problems. And as human beings, we're hardwired to do this. So this is something we have to learn to do to overcome the way our brains naturally work. So it doesn't mean ignoring those, but it means to also focus on what's right and how we build on that. And also that we notice what's going on emotionally for our colleagues. And there's a very recent study um, from last year that found that when in organisations, when colleagues noticed somebody's having an emotional reaction whether that was positive or negative it actually built trust in those teams and it was particularly pertinent for the um when when a colleague noticed when you might be having a kind of adverse and unpleasant emotional reaction and the thing is it didn't actually matter whether you got the emotion right or not, it was the fact that you noticed that built trust. And if we build trust, that sense of connect, we're building that sense of connection, relationships, which is fundamentally important for our psychological well-being because we are hardwired as social creatures. So you're basically being
0: treated by a person. The other person is looking at you and seeing this is a human being having a reaction, positive or negative.
1: You know, I mean, it can be positive or negative. But the fact that you notice, in fact, Google did a project on trying to find the algorithm for the highest performing teams, you was it personality mix? Was it ways the team worked? None of that seemed to correlate with high performance as a team consistently. But what they found is that within the uh, over time, working to, teams working together, the thing that made most difference is what they called psychological safety. And two ingredients for that. One is that I noticed what you were doing, that emotional kind of check-in type behavior, and that... Actually, people on the team had equal voice. That so doesn't mean to say we've all got our two minutes to speak. Team meetings, it could be that, but that we notice when a colleague is maybe holding back, or maybe more introverted, or less senior, and we allow, you know, we ask and seek that input, you know, and that then feeds those psychological needs. So I'm feeling seen. I'm feeling invited in. I'm my showing my ideas gives me a sense of that autonomy and control. So it feeds so. That's really vitally important. How many of our team meetings are just dominated by the boss or loud voices? And there's other voices. And from a risk management perspective and from an innovation perspective, you want all voices in the room.
0: What about things like, I mean, pay, remuneration, stuff like that? Happiness? Yes or no?
1: Uh, pay and reward is kind of interesting so when I uh, my first job in HR when I left accounting was um, compensation and benefits for an investment bank <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, a lot of emphasis on pay um, bonuses and things um, pay is a hygiene factor. it needs to feel fair relative to the market relative to colleagues but after that, it's actually not a driver of happiness at work. And in fact, if you look at various studies of you know what we think will make us happy at work, a pay rise, versus um, what really makes us happy at work, we find that there's actually quite a big difference. I mean, there was a recent study with over a million um, employees in this, this um, study, found that people said that that feeling energized, feeling a sense of belonging, feeling a sense of purpose were the top things and feeling paid fairly was the lowest factor that really made a difference.
0: OK, but presumably that also means that if you're very poorly paid or you live in poverty or in working poverty, it's going to be tougher to be happy because you feel that you're not actually being respected and honoured through, through your remuneration.
1: I think that's absolutely right. And this is where it comes to feeling fairly. So I think it, I mean, I think we have to make sure that the pay is respectful. And I think this is, it's quite, I mean, I'm, I feel quite strongly, you know, as we moved, when I'm most familiar with a kind of European or American environment, you know, where we've moved a lot to gig working and outsourcing and people on zero hours contracts, you know, where they they working. they're the working poor i mean how can you live in a in a in a civilized society where you have the working poor where people are working hard maybe multiple jobs but not having enough to meet yeah make ends meet so a living wage is res- respectful and fair and that that's kind of getting it up to hygiene level but beyond that i think we need to we can you know we we ignore some of these psychological factors that are peril it doesn't mean to say you can I think it's really important to say that you can suppress wages because you're focusing on happiness stuff, the psychological stuff, because that's not fair and that's not doesn't gender trust, yeah, yeah.
0: I was just going to ask you about that is whether there's any relationship between things like gig work or self employment, or indeed the kind of, um, the forms of hybrid working that we've seen on the rise in the last two years in the COVID period. I mean, is there any relationship between these, the type of work that you do, or indeed even the sector and your level of happiness? Is it, is it more difficult to be happy in some ways or in others?
1: There are. Um, various different studies that look at the happiest jobs and whatever and things a lot of the ones that i'm familiar with are actually pre-covid but we know that that people who are self-employed they often will have like their need for autonomy is high but there's you know that psychological need for autonomy is met but their need for connectedness and that need for kind of consistency security is low so and often they're driven quite hard so the the people that come out kind of in terms of highest in terms of life satisfaction versus job are actually professional workers and managerial and, and official workers the more kind of jeopardy we have in our job in terms of security and belonging the lower likelihood is that we'll feel happy but we can't we also need to acknowledge that there's no one rule here that's why i quite like this idea of psychological principles because what works for me at this stage in my life, in the context I'm in, maybe being a freelance worker or a gig worker might be quite right for me right now, but it might not have been five years ago and it might not be in five years' time. And somebody in my situation may not be that c- comfortable with that sort of level of you know, ha- you know, know, having to be self-reliant. So, so it does vary, but I think there is a relationship. And I think the ones that are in the... Lo- I mean, there's a huge study done quite a few years ago by Michael Marmot that found that even though senior level employees or whatever, managers, executives, etc., had more responsibility and more pressure than frontline or sort of, um, sort of people in routine clerical roles, that the the managers, and professional level workers were happier and that had a better physical benefits for their physical health because they have more greater sense of control is this sense of control is when i feel i have no option when i then me say i just have to do it and suppress who i am i'm a cog in a machine um, and treated as such then that is very detrimental to our psychological health in the long run
0: OK, so taking um, kind of structured workplaces, either white-collar workplaces or blue-collar places such as factories and stuff, who's responsible for happiness? Is it the employers or is it the workers or is it a mixture of the two?
1: Where does it lie? It's absolutely a mixture of the two. I mean, we think about the ingredients that go into the kind of working context as the organisational conditions that, you know, the or, clearly the employer or context is responsible for but we also have a role to play and the thing is i mean how many of us have been affected by how somebody else is in the workplace for good or for ill grumpy boss or a grumpy colleague does have a there's a ripple effect out so how we are impacts those around us and vice versa so there's a shared responsibility so i might not be able to affect the organizational policies if i'm further down in the organization uh, and hopefully i 'll be asked my views in some shape or form, but I can make a difference in my kind of team or my immediate group and it so it doesn't mean to say that we all have to go around with a yellow smiley face on absolutely not, but we need to have a toolkit to be able to manage that and aware that we are having a knock on impact so if we're sitting around in the canteen just moaning about issues every day rather than coming up with some contrast constructive ideas or s- doing what we can what's within our control, or actually also highlighting what's right, then it's actually going to be detrimental for everybody's well-being. So I think there's a, a shared responsibility there. And I think it's – um but I think there's a, there's a really interesting role of the manager and the leader, because the most important person in terms of your experience of work.
0: Okay. Right. Well, look, we haven't got a huge amount of time left on this podcast, but let me ask you to give us – a bit of a takeaway, some tips for creating happier workplaces, both for employees and for the managers. What can you give me?
1: Right. So a couple of things you might want really to try. One is really basic, a really kind of basic thing that can have a profound difference, both for us personally and make a profound difference for us personally and um, in our teams, is each day, try this as an experiment. I encourage people to try this as an experiment and play around with these things because just because they worked in scientific studies doesn't mean say they're going to work for us, um, all of us. But at the end of your working day, think back on three things you enjoyed, were grateful, or pleased about. It could be tiny and um, maybe write it down. When, in studies, when people have done that generally in their life, boosted happiness and reduced people's propensity to feel down, but specifically in the workplace doing that, showed it not only helped people detach from um detached from work more which is really important for working from home and re- you know it also kind of reduced his sort of psychological ill health and boosted psychological well-being so just think of reflecting on the good things and what that i mean it could be tiny it could be god i had a really terrible day but with so-and-so's help i got that report in on time or I'm glad that day. Um, I'm glad we, you know, we managed to get through that tricky meeting. Okay. It could be tiny things, you know, Um, it doesn't have to be big, but that can have a profound change because it's actually rewiring your brain to also notice what's right. And that has physiological and psychological impacts. We haven't got time to go into that, but all this stuff has a physiological and a psychological impact.
0: So you can literally rewire your brain to start taking more notice of the positives and less notice of the negatives
1: yeah and what, and what happens when we do that? It broadens our perceptual fields. we're more open to other people, we are more trusting of others, we are better at problem solving, we see more options, we're more flexible at thinking. And this is tried and tested research as opposed to when we're feeling fear or hacked off when our perceptual fields are narrow and we limit what we see. So there's a kind of real and it, you know, there has a physi- every emotional state has a physiological component, so um it, so biology and psychology are kind of caught up. So I would really say experiment with that, you know, and in your team meetings. I mean, what we, um, in from Happiness, what we do in sort of team meetings, we play with that. We start off with one thing that we are grateful for. Um, and it could be a work-related thing, it could be a personal-related thing. Another thing I, I would say doing is, you know, our connections with others in our organisation, these micro moments that I mentioned earlier, are so important we think they're in we think it's incidental whether we walk past a colleague in the corridor and grunt or we walk in without saying hello or asking people how they are or we glide over something they share with us but these are so important i mean jane dutton who was was at the um, Ross business school at university of michigan found that these kind of what she calls high quality connections these short moment positive interactions with others is literally as a few seconds make a difference to not only individual well-being and individual performance but team performance and organization performance even organization financial performance so and so what does that mean it means you know if a colleague shares you know something positive with you or some good news you know they had a great dinner last night or their kid won up in the football team or they've just had some good news from a client don't gloss over that and say oh lovely um and now how you're getting on with that report that we you know we need to get done you might just ask a few curious questions. Oh, you know, kind of, you know, who were they playing? Or what was the client? Or what did you have for dinner? Yeah, a couple of curious questions. And that is predictive of the highest quality relationships. And you can try that at home, by the way, as well, the original work, and that was done with romantic couples. But that sort of thing, you're you're noticing, you're paying attention to the person, you're paying, um, taking an interest in what they're interested in, and you're you're not saying that your work or whatever is more important than them as a human being. It doesn't take much time, but it actually creates quite a profound impact. So I'd really encourage you to try that—just asking a few active, curious questions when somebody shares a little bit of micro good news and see what you know. being kind. There's kindness. There's a big study that was done. Well, big study, but a study was done in a, an organization in Spain that where people. Were in different the people were uh, in the experiment were divided into different sort of groups if you like one group was tasked with over I think it was a six week period or three week period or something to do acts of kindness for a specific person in one of the other groups now they didn't know which group they were in and they found the people that were on the receiving end of that kindness even though they didn't actually aware that they you know that was the specific part of the experiment paid that forward were kind to others. I think it was something like 278% more acts of kindness that they went on to do than control groups. You know, so this stuff has a ripple effect out. I'm feeling grateful when we actually uh say thank you to colleagues. And if we do that publicly, and uh, specifically if we say thank you to colleagues, not just oh thanks Sophie, that was a great job. We say well much more specific than that. So Sophie, thank you for getting that report in on time. You know, it really you really helped us meet that client's needs and it really made an impact. So if we share the impact of what that person did and the strength that they demonstrated in doing that, the power of that thank you is amplified. And if that's observed in the organisation, that creates a ripple effect out, a positive ripple effect out that creates the sort of culture that we all want to be part of. So really simple things that can make a difference. And of course, there are bigger things as well.
0: Yeah. Well, Vanessa, listen, thank you very much for those simple but practical steps related to, to happiness at work. And thank you so much for joining us today. And if you want to find out more about Vanessa King's work or about Action for Happiness or simply about happiness at work more generally, you will find links on the web page of this podcast, which is on the ILO's website. So for now, let me wish you goodbye. I hope you will join us again soon for another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast.